Cool. Well, what's up, fam? Um, I'm Alicia Israel. <laughs> I'm Alicia Israel. Fucking welcome to this episode. No, uh, <laughs> Bryce is like, God damn it. <laughs> no, that's the best intro. I'm gonna, I'm gonna like just grab that, cut it out. And that's gonna be every episode intro now. Yeah, like fucking welcome to this shit, y'all. Um, anyway, hi, I'm Alicia, and I've been in the fitness industry about 15 years, and. I don't know. I used to, okay, when I used to have a bio, it had like all of my fucking certifications and all the fucking shit that I've done. And recently I've just like deleted it. And I'm like, this is, no one gives a fuck anymore. Like they really fucking don't. <laughs> like what um, I think really makes someone valuable to the world is giving a fuck about people, regardless of your accolades and your certifications and your degrees. So um, what I care a lot about is helping women you know just be bad bitches and reach the best functional health that they can um not just being skinny or like all that bullshit like let's actually be optimal like let's live our best lives and that's really what my business is i have an online coaching business um that i started man a long time ago but it really took off in 2019 and it's kind of been you know ever ever since then kind of taken off and that um, I've done for a while, but then also um, I just love helping women learn how to make money. So I have a podcast called Be Your Own Daddy, where I talk about being fucking daddy and <laughs> becoming financially independent. And it's it is geared towards women, but like obviously anyone can benefit from that because it's not just shit that like women struggle with. So anyway, in a fucking nutshell, I just like helping women specifically step into their power, um, show up for themselves, and just be financially free, whatever that looks like for them. And that's pretty much my vibe. No, that's perfect. That's great. That's an awesome bio. Uh, so I'll fill in some of the some of the parts that you left out, I guess. Um, actually, <laughs> like a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whenever, whenever I first um, figured out and realized who you were, started to like know Alicia Israel. It was it was from afar because that was whenever you were writing for Elite FTS, and that was whenever I was in college. So I knew who you were whenever I was like a child, basically. And in a lot of ways, I was like, oh, shit, like, like writing for Elite or being sponsored by Elite is like, for me, back then, it was the pinnacle. So I was like, very yeah. up to you. And now, obviously, like, we know each other, like, really well. So thinking back to then, it's a little bit strange. But do you want to kind of talk about your time spent with Elite, what you did with Elite, like, you know, how they potentially helped you? get a foothold in in the industry and like where you were able to jump that from because elite if people don't know what it is it's an educational company so they're very geared towards like powerlifting so powerlifting is very different from what you're doing now maybe you kind of back yeah. talk about like what elite did for you and like your time spent there yeah yeah so i guess going into it like how i became affiliated with elite fts was in college um i started bodybuilding essentially and by bodybuilding, I mean figure. And okay, so back then, though, that was like, what, 2011? That's when figure used to look like what bikini is now. <laughs> now figure is more extreme. So I started in figure and was dabbling in powerlifting because that's when I worked for Ben Hartman. Like you've had Ben on yeah. your show. Yeah. So like Ben, he was the fitness coordinator of the Akron Rec Center. And when I was a student there, I was a personal trainer and all the things I worked for Ben. And I eventually become his graduate assistant. 
So if you work for Ben, if you know Ben, like you eventually become a bodybuilder and powerlifter because like that's <laughs> that's what he influences people. Among other do. things. Yeah, yeah, among uh, among other things. But so I was very much in that environment. And so, and plus it's cool as fuck, like for women to really see what their body is capable in that way, whether it's bodybuilding or powerlifting, it's truly eye-opening uh, how powerful you can feel. So loved it, obviously. So that was really where my journey started. But clearly, as a competitor in powerlifting and figure, I start wanting to learn more, right? And so I'm starting to like go on EliteFTS.com, read their articles from their athletes and like become a fangirl, essentially, right? Like most of us were like, oh, Dave Tate, yes. Like, <laughs> yeah, like John Meadows, uh, all the things. And so I just was... a a reader of their stuff and just sort of supplying what I learned and all the things. And so when I left college, obviously I got my full-time job at Ohio state and I was the personal, well, at that, at that point I was the fitness coordinator of Ohio state doing all the fitness programs. But then I got um, moved into a personal training coordinator position where I oversaw all the personal training and shit. And it was around that time because I was still running fitness events at Ohio State and they let me have full fucking reign. Like when I worked at Ohio State, they let me do whatever I wanted, which was the, a really cool aspect of that job. And so I was like, well, can we bring in speakers? Like, can I can I host like a fucking strength seminar? Like, let's do that shit because I'm passionate about it. So I brought in Julia Leduski, um, who if you don't, if you know, listeners don't know, she is a very well known in the strength and conditioning world and powerlifting world and bodybuilding world. And she also is an athlete and columnist for Elite FTS. And, and she was, I think, the first woman to be an athlete for Elite FTS um, and columnist, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah, Julia is a bad bitch. She's yeah. super cool. And she's also a very professional and just great speaker. So I knew she would be aligned with like having her at Ohio State. So if they're gonna let me run with it, I'm gonna fucking run with it. <laughs> so I reached out to Julia Leduski and I'm like, hi, fangirl email, like, hello, <laughs> can you come to Ohio State and like do a strength seminar and talk about like, you know, building strength and da, 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 all the things. And she said yes, but she looped in Elite FTS and their content team. And at the time, their uh, editors and all the things. The Because again, like Elite FTS is in London, Ohio, which is really close to Columbus, which is again, where Ohio State is. So they jumped in on the event like hey can we come film this can we be a part of it and i'm like fucking absolutely <laughs> come on in y'all and so they brought their team to film um the event of her speaking and everything and so i got to talking to i forget what his position was but anyway i got to talk to their editing team and content folks and he was and the head guy at the time was like hey like do you want to come train at the compound tomorrow Yes. Do you want yes. me to describe what the compound is? Because that's it's vague if you don't know what that yeah. is. Yeah. Okay. Actually, yeah, yes. Yeah. So the compound is like this legendary, it's almost like training at Westside. Oh. If you think for the powerlifting world, it's this legendary place that basically it's a lead up to yes training grounds. Well, like Gold's Gym in Venice. Like, yes. That's a good example for like bodybuilding. Yes. And it's invite only. It's not an open gym. Like you have to like know someone to go. Really, it was just Dave's training crew that was there and they would film content in there. 
And that's also where they would house the equipment that they sell. If they were like in a prototype or if they're messing around with something, they would have it in the gym to use before they actually sold it on the site. So again, in the powerlifting world and bodybuilding, this was like, I'm going to the fucking Mecca. Like, absolutely. So I got invited to the compound and I shitting my pants, like shitting my pants. I was so nervous. I was so nervous because I was just this little tiny, like not strong, you know, like just like little girl, like going in this huge compound. I was like one of like two girls there. It's all these 300 pound guys like training and lifting 700 pounds and all this shit. And I'm over, it was just the most intimidating thing in the world. But regardless, it just started a relationship mm-hmm. essentially. And so I started again, staying in contact with them. I started going to more about the events that they've held. So, you know, they would hold um, like, again, different seminars. They would call them UGS events. So underground strength sessions that I would sign up for and go to as like a participant. So I just was very much like in their network. And I was still competing at the time and what have you. And uh, I think it was like, what, uh, 2014, when I competed in a bikini show, I switched divisions. (laughs) I was like, okay, bikini is now jacked. So I'm going to go into that. And that year, after my show, uh, I came to the compound to train again. And the, again, content editor folks, they threw me a duffel bag and I opened it and I had a team Elite FTS shirt in it. And I fucking lost my mind. I was like, really? I was the only like bikini girl there. Like <laughs> everyone else are like powerlifters, strongman, like bodybuilders. And I'm just like, bikini. <laughs> like, <laughs> over here and yeah so i've been writing for them ever since 2014 so do you still write for them yeah i still do really okay Mm -hmm. so i i definitely have not been following elite nearly as much as i used to didn't realize that you still wrote for them that is actually pretty dope um just in terms of like my relationship to this so i went to osu at the same time that you were working there which kind of kind of odd yeah yeah Um, yeah because I remember like going to the RPAC for class and seeing you walking around in the RPAC. So I was like, I know her. Yeah. Um, and then also like just kind of weird tangential relationship is like Jen Petrosino was one of my teachers. Yep. He was a professor. He was, he was my roommate while she was your professor, yeah. which is hilarious. That is hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. But like all of these like very small world type of things in Columbus. And around that time, like I was working at a private gym. My boss was also sponsored by Elite. So I was kind of like in that world peripherally because like I was a nobody like no one knew who the fuck I was like I I was just there and I was observing and it's all like very cool for me to see um but especially back then like I had this view of you as like you know you were an organizer like you were organizing all of this shit and that was back whenever you were putting together like a lot of the the big like speaking events for elite as well because I know that whenever we were working out together at at diamond fitness like even a few years later you put together, um, what was it like the elite business? Con- it was like yeah, a- the business summit. Business mm-hmm. summit, yeah. And it's like kind of weird for me because like you're not that much older than me, but like I've always had this view of you as being kind of like this Aaron Diamond figure, honestly, like where you guys have your shit together, you're very organized, you're very professional, like you're like that like, like boss bitch type of like personality because like that's all I've ever seen from you. And... I mean, honestly, it's kind of like this cool, intimidating energy because I never really knew how to approach you, right? Because like you knew me probably at the very beginning as like this intern who was like running around, like 
picking up plates off the floor at like you know the spot athletics and then eventually like we kind of just evolved to be kind of like in the same world with me online and like you also doing online at some point i was actually coaching you right was like this weird turn of events how it all just kind of like came back around full circle but with you competing you obviously did bikini and i know that i was coaching you at one point whenever you were going into your bikini show um you no longer compete in bikini no absolutely fucking not yes so um what was what was that like process like with you kind of like transitioning out of the active competing phase of your life and more so into like the coach and then more now like the ceo like business owner like doing more of like the high level shit what was that transition process like for you yeah uh i'm really happy that i did bodybuilding even though it was a lot my body it teaches you a lot of shit um so i think for me the reason i retired if you will uh, was just because my man that last season I pushed my body fucking far um, and there were a lot of hormonal things going on underneath that like I knew I would have to address eventually and it was just you know I it and and competing was kind of a means to an end competing was for me just like a way to build my credibility in the space it was a way for me to learn and just because man if you go through bodybuilding and you fucking learn that shit like man do you understand physiology at a whole other level compared to someone who's never done it um so i am not regretful at all that i did it but i knew it was time it was time to 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 dip out and just let my body recover (laughs) and heal and it was i don't even think it was much more of a transition like in the sense of being difficult or missing the stage i did not miss that shit whatsoever like my body needed a break uh what i wanted at that point was to move on and just build my business and to work with my clients and just to train for fun you know make training fun again because there's a certain point in bodybuilding where it's not fucking fun anymore and you don't even want to do it and i was just really beat up so i just wanted to go in and just do things that felt good and just whether it was light or heavy or even now I do Muay Thai and I fucking love that shit because it's not lifting. <laughs> it's something different. And so it was really focusing on my my business because ultimately that was, I mean, the reason I was grinding so much when I was at Ohio State and competing and all the things was a means to an end to build a business that was sustainable financially that I could again, grow to the point that whatever point that I want, you know, Um, and I realized I can't do that with this full time job. Um, And I also can't do that while competing because it it was too much. Right. Like you get fucking brain fog when you compete like that. Like you can't function. At least I could not (laughs) mentally. I was not at the mental capacity that I needed to be to grow to where I wanted to go. Absolutely. You know, so I had to just make that call of like, what, what am I doing this for? You know, like I'm done. Like I want to transition. I want to be fully bought into my business and go all in. And that requires all of my focus and all of my energy and my attention. And so it was just kind of game over after that. I feel like that's, that's a realization that a lot of people who are really in the depths of the fitness world struggle with putting themselves in other people's shoes that have actually made that transition to a different aspect, a different phase of their life. Because whenever you're fully immersed in it, like that's all you know. I feel like fitness is all consuming in a way that not a lot of other things are because it's 24 7, 365. Like you can never get away from fitness if you're in fitness. Right. There's never a break. 
So because of that, whenever you're competing, I always have found it, even myself, you know, a few years ago, whenever this was a gigantic aspect of my life, even bigger than it is now, um, I just could never conceptualize people getting to a point in their life where they're like, training is just like this like peripheral thing. It's like this thing that we do for fun, but it's not this deliberate, I'm going to go in and train my balls off every single session. I'm going to build my my day around my gym time because I have to be there for two hours. Like I have to make sure I get all of my shit in. It has to be super rigid. I I just couldn't put myself in other people's shoes that had made that transition. It was very confusing for me. Fast forward to now, I'm I'm clearly there, you know. (laughs) I was gonna say I'm like welcome, welcome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I I have I have crossed that threshold, and now it's hard for me to almost remember what it felt like to be so immersed in fitness to the point where like I didn't focus or care about anything else. Where that was my my sole obsession. That was the only thing I like thought of. Like I didn't, yeah. I didn't care to expand beyond that bubble. That was really, I was like, I don't give a shit about anything. I just like, I like fitness. I like physiology. I like anatomy. I like learning about health and anything beyond that was like, I don't need to worry about this. Like this isn't my scope. I don't need to worry about any of this other shit that other people worry about because that's not my job. That's not what I am doing. Sure. Um, but it's funny that whenever you remove yourself a little bit from that bubble and you start running a business like a, a business should be run, you need to, lo- to know a lot of shit that has yeah. nothing to do with fitness. Yep. And um, I mean, that was a really hard reality for me whenever I did start to make that transition more. It's like, all right, I care more about running and operating my business than I do me going to the gym for two to three hours every day. I was like, I don't fucking know anything. Yeah. I was like, I don't know anything about business. I don't know anything about money. I don't know anything about taxes. I don't know anything about like infrastructure or, or any of this shit. Like I don't know anything about anything. And that was hard for me also being someone who I've always kind of like had, I've always felt like I'm a smart person kind of going to that, that place of, yeah, like I'm smart in one very, very specific niche that not that many people really care about in the real world, right? In the real world, not that many people (laughs) care about it. Um, did you ever have that point in business where you were like, holy shit, I don't know anything. I don't know how I'm going to do this. Yeah. I mean, even <laughs> today, <Yeah>. today, even <laughs> it never ends. And I think remembering to like a lot of people who embark on owning a business or running one, they, their skill set isn't business. They read, they start a business because they're, they turn their passion into that. Yeah. And so at some point you have to make the transition of like, okay, there's a difference between having a passion and running something successfully that uh, makes sense and is intelligent and is smart and sustainable. And so you have to eventually like pass the baton to yourself again, but like a different arena. And a lot of business owners don't like that arena because it's, it makes you feel like a noob again. You know, like when we're first in our, you know, for my first exercise science class, like you feel like that again when you're an expert in a field and now, oh, I'm not good at this or this is new and it's hard and it's annoying because I'm used to being good and really great at one thing. And it's a huge ego blow when, and sometimes people ignore it. Some people put their head in the sand of like, well, I don't like this. It's, it's bringing up shit for me and makes my ego sad. So I'm just going to ignore it and do something else. And they get very distracted and in business and they lack focus and they end up either building a business that they hate or they run it in the ground. And 
it also doesn't have to be like that. But I think you have to just go into it knowing that like, I need to learn a whole different skill set. And I have to be okay with being new and not knowing. And who gives a fuck? Yeah. Like who gives a fuck, you know, but a lot of people, they don't want to be seen at the bottom. They only want to be seen at the top. So it's challenging. And in that regard, but the faster you just bite that bullet and just say, hey, I don't know what I don't know. And either you hire help or you research and you just face the ugly shit in your business that you don't want to face and just handle it. Then the sooner it is, you're on the other side and you are at the top again. So now you have multiple skill sets that you're really good at. <laughs> and it's a win. Have you ever heard of or read the book? It's called The E-Myth. No. I, I, I think that now that's actually like a second or third version It's called like the e-myth revisited but um in the book it's like a very simple read in the book the author breaks down the model of a business owner and the the progression essentially is from a technician where like what you said you're someone who it turns a passion into a business you're the technician at the beginning right you're someone who is a personal trainer who is really good with anatomy with communicating with their clients one-on-one. -on -one. Maybe you work at LA Fitness and one day you wake up, you're like, I think I can do this on my own. I don't need to give 75% yeah. of my cut to LA Fitness. Or maybe you're you know, a mechanic and you realize, holy shit, like I can do this on my own. I'm gonna start my own mechanic shop. Or you're a baker, you're like, I can do this on my own. I'm gonna start my own business. Yeah. And then because you're really good at a single skill set that people potentially will pay for, you turn that into a business. You try to turn that into a business, but then you realize that being a technician doesn't mean that you can be an entrepreneur. That's sure. another aspect of this business owner kind of like, you know, triangle, right? Where you have the entrepreneur, you have the technician, you also have the manager. Yeah. And you have to make concessions at certain points. If you own a business, even if you're great at being a technician, if you want the business to grow at some point, you have to pass off that technical aspect so that you can ascend to being an entrepreneur or you can be a manager or maybe you hire someone to be the CEO so you can be more of the technician and the manager, right? Like right. you have to know where your, where your weaknesses and where your skill set lie. And you have to be honest about that. If you right. actually want to run an effective business that makes money, that makes an impact. I struggled like a motherfucker with that concept for a very long time. Um, and I feel like everybody probably does struggle with that. Yeah, for sure. At the very beginning, but I was, I especially was someone who like relentlessly held on to the fact that I was a really good technician. I didn't need to worry about being a manager or being an entrepreneur. And I was also like throwing a tantrum about how people who are better entrepreneurs and managers, but not as good of a technician as me, not as good of a coach as me, were making more money than me. We're getting yeah. more, yeah. more successful. And I was like, I don't fucking get it. It doesn't make any sense. Like they're, they're cheating, like things like that. <laughs> and, yeah. and it like, it bothered me to my core. And I still see this. I'm sure you do with a lot of people too. Like some people just can't get over the fact that they might be good at one particular aspect of what they do, but that doesn't mean that you can run and own an effective business. Right. Like, yeah. You're, you're a good coach. You're a good trainer. That doesn't mean you should own a business. Like owning a business is fucking hard. Yeah. Really, really hard. Um, And I mean, I could, point to a lot of specific examples for issues that I've run into with owning and running a business. But I'm actually really curious about like some of the more problematic or difficult decisions or things that you've had to face within your business and growing, growing it up to this point. I could probably actually off the top of my head think of at least one or two. Or yeah, yeah. But um I would love to hear your own words because this is something that it doesn't get talked about nearly as much 
whenever people are hyping their business up and hyping their services up, but everyone fucks up a lot in business. Um, Here's to hear some of like your fuck ups. Oh yeah. God, where to begin? Um, Yeah, I fucked up a lot in business because again, you're a practitioner and then you build the thing. And what happened, okay, so what happened with my business initially is that I left my full-time job in 2019. And when I, okay, the Instagram world was a different world back then. When I grew my, when I grew my audience, when I grew my business, you could literally just post a selfie of yourself in the gym and you'll get five applications. Yeah. It ain't like that anymore, fam. Like you can't fucking roll that way. But anyway, motherfucker now. Yeah. It's completely different. So like, um, anyway, I grew in 2019 and I got cocky. You know, I was like, I'm good. This is, this ain't that bad. Like I'm working a lot and my shit was really inefficient, but like I, I'm the type of person, like I'm so money driven that I will work myself to the, to death if the income is worth it, because I come from some backstory, just a lot of like financial trauma and brokenness and like family issues growing up and all the fucking thing. If you really care to listen more about that, how I put my dad in prison, go ahead to my podcast episode two or, or maybe it's episode two. Send me that link so that I can post that in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. I think I put it in there, but, um, but anyway, so I like, I have a history of money trauma, mm-hmm. so I had to get out of a really bad financial situation. So I have no problem working my ass off to make, to make money. And when I was leaving my full-time job, that was my mindset, hustle, hustle, grind, grind, grind. And I did, but I also got comfortable with just like having a lot of leads come through, working with a lot of clients, doing everything myself. But the mistake that I made was that I didn't understand margins. I didn't understand when and how and why to hire people, who should you hire, what types of things they should do. How to I, I knew how to manage from working at Ohio State. Like that was something that I feel I had a lot of experience with. But even then, it was next level running your own business versus working for someone else. Like being a manager at a corporate whatever or education is different than running your own business. And so I was scaling incorrectly. Um I didn't under I just didn't understand um how to do it properly. And so my business got to a point. <laughs> where it was like making 30K months and I was losing money. And I didn't notice it until I was going red. Because I was like, because I didn't do my P&Ls. I wasn't paying attention. I didn't have QuickBooks. I didn't have an accountant running my shit, like all the dumb stuff. So I would like <laughs> slowly each month, I look at my bank account. I'm like, why is it shrinking? And I was also extremely naive because like I had been broke for so long that like I didn't, even if I profited like a grant, I would be so excited because like it was so much more than I ever had made because I was so broke for so long. So I didn't have concept of like what was actually healthy. And also what was healthy to have in like a savings for a business is like a you know emergency fund. No idea. And I look back and I'm like, you son of a bitch, you had no money. <laughs> like if shit hit the fan, you would have been fucked. Yeah. But like, I just didn't know. And so eventually I hired a mentorship um, to help me at like the business mentorship. And I took them to my problem. I was like, here's the thing I built. And I fully fucked up because like, I just, I should have hired help in the beginning, whatever. And to figure it out. 
<laughs> they look at it. It was, it was um, IFCA for those of you who want to know, um, which I also work for them now. <laughs> but anyway, um, so I gave them my thing and my thing. Here's my thing. Here's my problem. Erin <laughs> uh, Diamond, so one of the CEOs, she was like, oh, we'll fix this in a month. It's no big deal. I'm like, for real? Are you fucking, are you seriously? Like, this is something that I could have done a while ago. I been everyone does it. Don't worry. And I'm like, oh, everyone does it? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Okay, good. That makes me feel better. And that's kind of goes to a point of like, people think when they're building a business, they're the only ones who fuck shit up. And I'm like, no, everyone does it. So it's fine. Um, so eventually they helped me figure out how to increase my prices where they should have been also paying my team appropriately. So I had margin, but then they also had, uh, they were paid more so on performance. And so when the business was able to retain clients, they're paid commission on that retention. And so it was a really like nice, um, not say agreement, but it was a better structure overall because when the business was succeeding, so was my team. And it wasn't like this lopsided shit that was a mess. And ultimately, like even like I lost a coach during that process, like that's okay. Like you also have to remember like when you change things structurally in a business, whether it's in it, it, like this is one of the things where it, this has to happen. Like there's there's no like going back or there's no like alternative. It's I fucked up and understanding margins and how to actually structure pricing and what the business was costing. And I fucked that up. So you have to own that and be transparent. And luckily the coaches on my team, the two were like, you know what? I got you. Like I'm with you. Rider dies, high five all around. Perfect. Like, let's go. And that's, it, it all worked out. It all worked out. Right. But ultimately I had to make the hard fucking decision to completely, you know, restructure everything. And at that, that same year, I changed my entire offer, um, the structure of it, the marketing rebrand, all of it, you know, in one year. And it was miserable. Honestly, it was really hard. It was really hard. And I gave up all my clients. I really, I was like, okay, I'm going to step in the CEO role. I'm going to listen to everything they're fucking telling me. Stop coaching people. Like stop doing admin. I hired a VA, like all the things. And it fucking worked, but it was really hard to do it in the moment because you're met with resistance all the time <laughs> when you build a business because you're doing shit that you've never done before. And sometimes you have to take a few steps back and fix some things before we can start moving forward again. You know, business isn't linear. So I had to take steps back. My team had to take steps back and trust me. And now we're in a great place because of all that. And now we're hiring another coach. Like I'm scaling now. They didn't even mean to scale like again, because like I removed myself again from the business um, recently this past year. And my team literally does everything. I lead them, but I don't do sales calls. I don't coach. I don't do anything. They do social media, TikTok, AV page. Like they do all that stuff. And what happened again, it's like, oh, wow, I I removed the bottleneck, which was me. Um, And lo and behold, now we're just like pumping with leads. We have nowhere to put them. My team is full, overwhelmed. And now we have to hire someone else, which is a great problem to have. But it happened because I stopped being a technician and I also pretty much stopped being a manager. I hired a head coach or I promoted one of my coaches with your ex-wife to me. (laughs) She's a bad bitch, but she's great. Greater job. She is now my head coach and she is also my sales closer. She does all that shit. And so 
now she's more management. And then I just am tr- truly a CEO. And so now my business is growing again because I just, again, did what I was supposed to fucking do and stopped doing the stuff I wasn't supposed to do and multiplied myself with yeah. my team members instead of feeling like, oh, I have to have my hand in this. I have to have, no, you fucking don't. No, you fucking don't. And the longer you keep your hand in something is usually the longer it's going to stall because we're only one person, yeah. you know, we can't, we can't do it all. So that kind of in a, a long nutshell of what I fucked up, but it comes to fruition, like eventually when you fix it and you just own your mistakes and you know, that we didn't learn this shit in school. We learned how to be fucking trainers and, you know, nutritionists and dietitians and shit. Like we didn't learn how to like fucking own a business that was profitable, but still pays people fairly. Like you learn all that shit. I mean, that's the thing though, in, in college and school, you like, there's no entrepreneur path that you can take, right? Like there's no major of like entrepreneurial entrepreneurship, at least as far as I know. Um, and there's nothing that can prepare you for all of the eventualities that you're going to run into whenever you are trying to run and operate and grow a business. And for myself, I can relate really well to a lot of what you were talking about with 2019. You could post anything on social media and get applications. Like for me in that position, I never marketed anything that I did. I never posted on my story, like apply to work with me. I never did a single fucking thing. And I had a wait list, like so long to work with me. Like it was, it was ridiculous. Like I, like you, I got cocky. I got very cocky. I was like, this is going to go on forever. I never have to worry about anything. <laughs> I never have to like market. I don't have to worry about advertising. Like it's just going to be linear growth forever, if not exponential growth. Right. And I, I was like, I'm such a great business owner. I know what the fuck I'm doing. Like this yeah. is crazy. Why can't people just do this shit? You know? And I came back down to earth really hard. Um, in like 2021, right. Or maybe even early 2022, whenever we started having some turbulence, in our business. And as soon as I experienced a little bit of adversity, I was like, oh shit, I don't actually know how to handle this very well for you. You had the experience of being a manager at OSU. I had never had the experience of managing people. So we tried to scale fast and I'm very much someone who was like, I want to go, 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 go as fast as possible. Maybe even a little yeah. bit fast. Because I don't like the idea of being stagnant or regressing. I like that is terrifying for me. I don't want that. So we tried to expand and scale way faster than we had the systems and infrastructure in place to support that scaling. And I didn't know how the fuck to do any of this. I was just like, we add more coaches. We yeah, add yeah. more to the team. We make more money. That's how this works. Yeah, yeah. And all of that, you know, like I forgot about the fact that you need to be able to communicate with people. You need to be able to direct them and tell them what they should be doing and make sure everyone is coordinated and right. and, and, you know, direct. So I dropped the ball so fucking hard to the point where we had to like take 10 steps back for the past, you know, couple of years, find a settling point and slowly start to push forward again. And that, that sounds very much like the situation you dealt with. I also was operating from a place of desperation a lot of the time where I was seeing the money come in. I was like, well, I can't allow this to stop. I'm probably not as money driven as you are, but I would say that I'm very success driven, which yeah. in a lot of ways is, is and it's impossible to, to unbind that from money. You know, like those are so correlated. So by proxy, I'm money driven. And 
you know, whenever we were having these extremely high months of, of revenue, like same position, like we were spending money faster than we were making money because I was so obsessed with like hire more people, yep, yeah. buy more things. Like it was very much like on my end, I was putting up like a front because I, in my head, I thought that if other people viewed us as being very successful, us as growing and scaling, that would almost like will it to happen. Like it would just yeah. happen. If other people, yeah. this was happening. You build it, they will come. <laughs> exactly. Now that was my mentality for a, a lot of 2020, 2021. It wasn't fixing the problems in the business. It was expecting the problems to just disappear if we could bury our head in the sand and pretend like they weren't there, you know? And obviously that was a horrible strategy. Um, you know, I've had to learn the hard way, a lot of things in business at this point, but like what you said, everyone makes the same fucking mistakes. Like everyone makes the same mistakes and everyone operates in the red for quite a while. And everyone yeah. has to fire people at some point. Everyone has to restructure their business at some point. Everyone realizes they're undercharging for what they're doing and they're spending way too much time doing like the technicals and like writing programs and sending emails and they should hire other people to do the monotonous shit so that they can focus on the big picture. Uh, but that transition to get there is so fucking hard. Yeah. Like for me, that's been one of the hardest things I've attempted and failed multiple times at doing is completely removing myself from coaching because I get to a point where I'm starting to offload clients to my coaches. I'm starting to get to like, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel and then I like panic. And I'm like, yeah. all, right, all right, like I know that if I start taking on clients again, we'll make more money. So I just immediately revert back to old habits. And I I continue to do that. Like I haven't been able to actually get myself fully out of coaching and into like that CEO role, even though I probably should at this point. Like it's probably where I should be living and operating. Um, so like what are you doing now? Like what does a day or a week look like for you at this point where you're not coaching? You're you're managing for sure. You're running the business, but like, what does that look like for you? Or is there, is there any consistency to that? Yeah. Um, really it's about just with my team in terms of a leadership perspective, just holding people accountable Yeah. and, uh, having just constructive, productive meet. like what a week looks like really in my business. I probably work about 10 hours in my business weekly with AB. Um, and those 10 hours include, meetings, you know, with my team. Um, I meet with every team member that I have, except for my two VAs. I do bi-weekly, but everyone else, sometimes it's daily, sometimes it's weekly or multiple times a week. Um, because if I am not supporting them, like that's what they need. Like yeah. that's what a CEO is supposed to do. You're supposed to support your team. And if you're, if you, okay. So like if a team member is, fucking shit up. The worst thing you can do as a, to truly step in the CEO role is fix it for them or take their client away. Or like if you have someone in social media, like, okay, I'll, I'll fix it. I'll do it. You have to be really patient. And you just have, like, if I see something that is a hiccup or something happened, I ask them, okay, cool. So let's look at this. What is your solution? Come to me with your solution. Or, okay, let's look at this conversation what do you think you could have done differently? You have to just, you fucking just can't give them the answer. You have to like let them come to the conclusion themselves and that's how you lead. And you also have to have a really good feedback process. So my week really looks like a lot of meetings with my team 
and asking a lot of questions and providing feedback and a process that is consistent. Everyone gives feedback the same way. It's never emotional. It's very much based on facts and no one gets butthurt, right? Because it is what it is. Everyone has to have constructive feedback or else no one grows. And I actually prefer, I, I love, you know, having a week where I maybe I'll get feedback from whether it's a client or maybe it's a conversation in social media where something got fucked up. That's good because you get information. Yeah. I'm like, what this client just said is amazing feedback. I'm so happy they said that because now we can get better. Now we can change something. It's never bad. Like it's never bad. So really it's leading your team in a way of like, there's no such thing as like you fucking shit up. It's just a learning opportunity. Like I don't expect y'all to be fucking robots. You're all human. I don't expect you to be perfect. Please do not expect me to be perfect. Like don't put that shit on my shoulders. You know, I'm not. My job here is to help you be the most successful at your position, like whatever that is. And if they're not successful, that's my fault. A lot of times we blame our team when shit hits the fan, when something, when a client doesn't get the result that they want or something happens, it's really easy, especially since like a CEO who's built the ground up, like we were the practitioner at one point, we were the technician, we were doing all the work. Like then we were this, then we were that. We've worn all the hats. And so when you give those hats away and people make mistakes because they fucking will, it's really easy to get judgmental and mad and to point fingers and to be like, fucking Christ, God damn it. They did it again. Like if they did it again, that means you're not communicating correctly. If they aren't, if they're making the same mistake, that's on you. That's on the CEO. That's on the manager or what, whoever is supposed to be supporting that person and giving feedback. That's your fucking job. So like ask yourself, Okay, if someone's fucking up, you know, in, in a meeting, they're not really fucking up. It's you. But ask like, okay, why is this being missed? Is it because I'm not giving them the support that they need most likely? <laughs> so when you shift your mindset to that, not only does your team feel safe to like just exist and do their job and they're not anxious about how you're going to respond and give them feedback because they know you're not going to like jump down their throat or be a dick. Uh, you just are neutral and you can approach like shit that happens during the week as like, okay, like let's navigate. So how could we have done this differently? Um, how can we mitigate in the future? But I will, I will also stay with a, a very, like, like tan, like side note here. My team is fucking baller. Like I very rarely have to like, you know, do anything in terms of like constructive feedback, but that's because we've, just communicate well from the get-go and everyone respects each other. And we've been, and my coaches have been with me for years. Like, it's not like we don't have a lot of turnover. So we're like a, a very connected knit group. Yeah. Um, however, that's what I do all week. I just give feedback, you know, um, I help them. That That's all I do. I don't, I help my team, like be good at what they do. And the other thing that I, what really takes more of my time is I do business consulting for fitness coaches. So like I alluded to, I hired a company called IFCA, um, Impact Fitness Coach Academy, that helps business coach helps fitness coaches learn how to run a business because uh, we all suck at it. So there, that's the thing. But through my journey with them as a student, they then hired me as a, a success coach, which that just means I help them, like uh, I help them help other coaches build their businesses, and I have like some select students that I work with, and that 
is takes up more of my day than my business does. My business is more of an asset at this point. And really what I do, because, well, you know, this is what fucking entrepreneurs do. Like I have more time now. So, well, my business is like, I'm just, I'm not doing much in it except for leading my team. So that means I'll do something else. <laughs> Why not just add to the plate? So that's what I do most of during my day is I help people with the, sh- basically I help people not make the mistakes that I did in yeah. fitness. That's what I do all day and lead my team and help them be good at their job. That's it. No. And that's, that's a really good way of like summating it because whenever you're trying to consult or have a conversation with anyone who is like a newer business owner, especially in this world, it's hard to come from a place of like not having failed before. Like if you've never gone through the turbulence and failure of being a business owner, especially being like a fitness business owner, because it comes with its own set of problems and its own demographics that you have to deal with. Like it's very hard to communicate with someone unless you've been there, unless you've made all of those mistakes. So having gone through all of that, I think that it's much easier, I'm sure, for you to be able to communicate whenever you're consulting because you can go directly to the source of their problems without them even potentially knowing it. You're like, okay, you're struggling with this or you're telling me you're struggling with this, but it's actually because of this. Yeah. You're telling me that like your assistant coach isn't doing their job well, so you need to hire a new one. But it's actually because you don't have the systems in place to train them to do their job as well as you need them to do it where you're able to, to take a step back and focus on being a CEO. Right. And it's like just recurring problems. The same it's the same blueprint of problems just recurring in different ways that we all continuously run into every single day, every single week. And like I mentioned before, like mine stem a lot from being not a natural manager of people. And it's not that I can't be like a good leader. It's just that I don't have the patience necessary in a lot of capacities to like be a good boss. And that's been something I've really tried to work with, right? Like I can be a good technician. I can be a good entrepreneur. I'm just not the best manager. So because I know that, I've tried to surround myself as much as possible with people who are good managers and who are good communicators and who are able to kind of like have those difficult, maybe like emotional conversations with people that we work with. Because I know that for me, getting on those calls and talking about all the ways that someone else is fucked up, I'm like, I can only do this for so long before I'm just like, I'm I'm dissociating from this, from from this person too, you know? But I've realized that a lot of that that stems from me being frustrated that I can't have a business of me's because I want everyone to care as much about the business as I do because right. it's business, but that will never happen. Like no one will care about your business, no matter how much they say, or how much they care about you as a person or your, your relationship, your business is your business. You're the one who grew it, started it, suffered at the beginning like right. all of the the like growing pains of going from one client to a hundred clients to, you know, like potentially, you know, six, seven figure business. Like, it's a long fucking time. That's a lot of hours. That's a lot of late nights, a lot of early mornings, not a lot of sleep. So anyone that you bring in will never understand those things. They won't care as much about your business as you do. I've struggled with that a lot, like a fucking lot. And just the the trust handoff that has to happen there, me delegating something to someone who I know it just won't, it's not their fault, but they won't care as much as I do about it. Right. Right. You won't have the same attention to detail. And I think that goes back to my some somewhat difficulty or inability to communicate all of the things that I need or want from 
the people that work for me. Not an easy process, something I've been like working on for quite a long time. But like for you, have you ever struggled with coming to terms with the fact that like it's your business, no one will care as much as you care about it and having to work around that problem and have you or how have you worked around that problem? Yeah. Yep. And I have. There have definitely been days in my past where I would just get frustrated if maybe something wasn't completed to how I would do it or a ball was dropped. But man, that is such fucking bullshit to expect that of your team. Like it, it is. And it comes from ego. It comes from us making it about ourselves. Oh, woe is me. My bit. It was, I worked so hard for this and they don't even get fuck off. You know, like, like truly, like, I think being like having the expectation that people should care about your business as much as us, while that feeling stems up, we've we've all felt that if you run a business, we've all, it's not like, you're not bad for like feeling like that. We've all done it, but we have to recognize that that's coming from our ego. That is our ego just trying to run the fucking show. And that's not fair. It's not fair to the business. It's not fair to you. It's not fair to the team. And so you can't expect that because it also doesn't have to happen to have a successful business. Like they don't, they shouldn't care about my business as much as me. If they did, that'd be fucking weird. If they did, they would have their own business. Like, so it's okay. You know, as long as they can operate around 80% of you, that's fine because when you multiply yourself, them doing it, the volume that you physically fucking can't as one person is better than you at 100%. Mm-hmm. Is better. Yeah. So it does it, it does it good. I hope you don't care about my business as much as me because you fucking shouldn't. I don't want that stress for you. Like you're in this position because it's less stressful to work for me in this position. That's the whole reason the assistant coach position fucking exists so that you can just coach and just live and be fed clients and just live your best life. I I'm responsible for my business. Therefore, like I'm supposed to love and nurture it, but you're supposed to do your job. Like, you know, and I support you in doing that. So I think it's just separating our ego from our, from the team members, like, you know, and just having realist expectations that they can hit and be successful with and just know they're going to fuck up, but their fuck ups are better than you trying to do everything yourself. Like hundred percent. And you'd mentioned it before, but building incentive structures that align them with the business. So everyone that works for your business should have some incentive. Oh, sure. To care about the business. And for some people, it's money driven, right? So like you had mentioned before that a lot of your, or I don't know, all of your coaches get like a commission for re- retained revenue. Yeah. So that's a huge incentive structure, right? And let's just say, for example, the difference between like a commission or a percentage of client income versus a flat salary and like a flat salary it's security but it's not in incentivizing or encouraging like above and beyond correct work ethic you know correct. um whereas a, a ceo like someone who owns a business like you know we don't have any security but at the same time our incentive is built around grow the business make more money you're more successful you have more money so like that's where our our incentive comes from it's very much like x plus X equals Y in our case. But for the assistant coaches, there might not be like a plus X for them. Like they might just have one 
flat rate that they're making. And I've seen a lot of this happen, especially like in fitness coaches that make early mistakes with their assistant coaches that they hire on. The pay scales are horrendous. Yeah. Usually for the business. And you mentioned that as well, where you were overpaying. I, I don't want to put words in your mouth. You're overpaying your coaches at the beginning. I mean, yeah, the math was written on the wall there. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, and same with me, same with me. Like I was overpaying my coaches because whenever you are operating at lower capacities, the margins make sense. But whenever yeah. you start to scale up, overpaying anyone doesn't make sense because the margins shrink and they yeah. shrink and then they go negative whenever you're overpaying people. So at a certain point, you have to take a step back and restructure the pay scales. And that's really challenging for a lot of people to accept. So what I did, what our business did was we switched it to an incentive laden model, right? So it's like, okay, like everyone is going to have a base security for their pay. But also if you hit these benchmarks, you get paid X bonus and you can potentially right. make a fuck ton of money if you do really, really well, if you you know, retain your clients, if you maintain above X amount of clients, if you bring in X amount of revenue for the business every month, then we're going to give you a gigantic bonus because we're making money. So you can make money. And then the potential idea of, you know, having promotions later on, right? So like you mentioned, Alex, she's promoted to head of sales, head coach, like there are incentives potentially laden in every single business. I found that it, like nascent coaches, like immature coaches that don't really know what they're doing or business owners, especially, I feel like it's the better way of just describing it. Um, they don't understand how incentives work. Right. Because they don't have the time to think about those things. So whenever you hire an assistant coach, it's very easy to say, cool, I'll pay you, you know, 70% of all of the clients that you work with. Right. Right. But then that it's really hard to walk back in the future. Yeah. So, so later on, whenever you have to have that conversation and say, hey, by the way, you know, you taking 70% of every client that you work with is actually losing me money. Yep. And it makes no sense for me to continue to pay that from a business perspective. That's a very hard conversation. And I've had to deal with that. You've had to deal with that. And just in general, um, you know, beyond incentives, I found that money conversations are hard. Like no matter what you're talking about, whether it's a good conversation or like, hey, we're making a lot of fucking money. Great job, guys. It just feels weird to say that. Like, right. have you noticed that? I know that we're we're going to talk about money because that's something that you really enjoy talking about. But I find talking about money, whether it's like in a negative or even a positive way, it feels uncomfortable for me. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, it felt like that until I made the change um, with my business structure and my two coaches were on board and we just did the thing. Um, because I realized, you know, I, it's only uncomfortable because it, society says we have to keep it a secret or there's things that only the CEO should know in terms of financials. I don't believe in that. Like, you know, I, you know, showcase, we do culture calls every week with my, or every uh, month with my team. And I tell them, you know, what type of revenue we brought. And I tell them the margin we're hitting. I want them to know. Yeah. I want them to know what a healthy margin is. I want them to know where the money is going you know, in my company, because, you know, the more transparent you are, then the more your your team will trust you and the direction and they'll feel safe. Right. And so they know that if they perform well, the business performs well, everybody wins. And, you know, I agree with you having some type of like performance based pay is 
always the way to go. Salary just leads to mediocrity and laziness. And also people just don't like that. Like people like to be rewarded for doing a good job. You know, I hated being paid a salary when I worked my full-time job because I would bust my ass and fucking Joe Schmo down the road, who was the same, like, you, you know, similar positions, but like he would make drastically more because, and he would just sit on his ass all day. What the fuck? Yeah. Like, that sucks. That's that's what drives people out of jobs is they're like, fuck this. They want to know they're doing good, right? So I love like performance-based commission and re- however anyone structures it um, to make sense in their business, but it keeps your A players on your team because it gives them something to shoot for. Yeah. You know, there's no like, oh, you're capped, you're done. No, like it's amazing when team members want to grow in your business, when they want to like do other things. Um, but- I just feel like the the best way to get over money conversations being awkward is just to be fucking honest and open up your shit. Like, I don't care if a shit. Look at my database. Look at look at the money coming and coming out. I don't care. Like, yes. look at it. I'm not mismanaging it. You know, so not only that, it if my team knows what's going on, it holds you accountable, right? Like, I'm not going to do dumb stuff with the money that I have because I'll have to talk about it, <laughs> you know, yeah. and I think it's, I don't know. I just, that's just how I operate. Some people might not agree with that and, you know, live your best life. I don't care, but I'm not, you know, I want them to know that you guys are good. Like we're making profit in the way that we should. It's healthy. Um, and you guys are making the money you want to make. And that's fucking great. Mm-hmm. Sick. Everybody wins. Cool. And I still, I still, as a CEO, pay myself less than anyone on my team full time. I don't give a shit. Like it's not about me. You know, everything is stays in my business. Everything stays. So it's like, I don't need to pay myself six figures to feel good. My I want my business to grow. My business is an asset. I'm not going to take money out of it so I can get a pedicure. Like, yeah. like, I take just what I need and everything else stays, you know? So I don't care. Some people get caught up and like, well, you shouldn't make less than your... Who? What? Like, um, I'm sorry, but leaders eat last. They fucking do. You sh- I don't think you should. Like, if you take what you need, but you shouldn't be just like draining your business because you can like build your business, invest back into it. That's how you grow. It's like better than a fucking, you know, stock market investment. Like use your business as an investment. Like, why would you do that anyway? That's a tangent. But anyway, here we are. <laughs> well, I, th- I think part of that is it's it's more abstract in nature, right? And like, let's say that you're investing in the stock market, just as an example, like it's very easy to say, I'm going to move my money to this and then I'm going to not worry about it. And then over time, I'm going to expect that I'm going to have more money. Right. Business, you have to take that money and you have to directly put it to work. Yeah. In a productive yeah. way. So it's you making more decisions with that money. So there's a lot more overhang with it. Sure. And you're oftentimes like if you're just looking at that money sitting in a bank account, you're like, oh man, I could do a lot with that. Like, yeah. You know, there, there have been times never, you know, for us, like we've had a good amount sitting in that checking account. And I'm like, this feels like I should take some. You know, like, this, yeah. this like I should give myself a bonus, you know, and the reality is that no, you shouldn't. And the reason for that is because for every peak that you have in your business, you're going to have equal troughs. So you're going to have really yeah. fucking bad times. And there have been times whenever I've not only not made any money in a month, I've had to take money out of my personal savings to pay my coaches to make sure that the business has enough money in it to continue to function. Right. And it's not that we were going to like hit zero dollars or anything, but I want a cushion there. Like I want to make sure that everyone is good. So I paid the business out of my savings 
to make sure that everyone was good and we were not going to be stressed about shit, right? Right. That is the decision that you have to make as a business owner. Like, are you able to do that? And yeah. and I so I actually re really want to ask you like just common mistakes that you see with young business owners making with money because I think that money can obviously be a tool. And actually, I saw I think it was Aaron, maybe Aaron or Jordan made a post the other day about like leveraging debt things like that. Yeah. Um, and I agree with it. I agree with it hundred percent, but I also disagree with it in a way that debt can be leveraged, but debt can also be catastrophic and it can be paralyzing and it can be, it can force you into making desperate decisions that you otherwise wouldn't make if you didn't have debt. Sure. So that is actually something that I've seen with other people. Luckily I've been able to avoid debt, like knock on wood. Like I've been able to avoid that for 29 years. Um, but I've seen other people act from positions of desperation because they have debt. And if you are in that position, unfortunately, owning a business is going to be really challenging for you. Sure. Because there are going to be times where you might not be bringing in enough money to pay off your debts that you have on the outside of your business, right? Like if you have $100,000 of credit card debt and you're trying to grow a business, Where's your focus? Like where, yeah. where is that priority, right? Is it growing the business or is it paying off this debt? And you can't be divided like that. I feel, right. well, maybe you can, but like, I feel like that complicates the issue, you know? So outside of debt, like what are some other money issues that you see with, with entrepreneurs making? Yeah. I mean, with the debt piece too, it, it's depends on what types of type of debt it is. Right. Like I think what Aaron Jordan are talking about is more or less like when you're out of debt, that is liability. <laughs> which is what everyone fucking does, like cars. And I would even say student loans are liability debt. Like, well, like yeah, I, think, I think my perspective on that is more so just like, I, I understand like having anything overhanging is, is potentially just, yeah, a, it's a conflict sure. of interest, you know? Um, sure. But I mean, at the same time, like I, I have a mortgage, I have a car loan. Like I, I also am in debt in that way, but not like credit cards, not student loans. So, sure. so um, like you said, there are definitely types of debt that are beneficial to have and you don't want to pay it off immediately, right? Like if you have a mortgage and you have a 2% interest rate from, from 2021, fucking slow trickle that bitch. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Don't, don't pay that off before you you reinvest into your business, right? Like, prioritize right, right. growing your business right now, and then keep that that mortgage payment forever because that's easy. That's easy shit, right? Like, you don't you don't want to worry about that right now. Right. Um, but more so from the debt perspective, like whenever debt becomes something that you're consistently thinking about, like whenever that's always at the forefront of your mind, you know. But agreed with you. I agree. I agree. I just wanted to use that as a, as a potential example, but, um, but yeah, yeah. you want, you take the reins. I'm not going to talk anymore. No, you're good. Yeah. I know a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Um, and a lot of times people can't even use debt as leverage until they've already paid off the debt that is like not leveraging, <laughs> like, yeah. you know? So it's like a different conversation for a different phase of life, you know? Yeah. Um, but with new business owners, uh, a mistake that I see with money is not keeping, their personal and business money separate. And so it gets confusing and convoluted and you don't really know where things are going. And it also is hard to strategize when everything's mixed, like yeah. personal expenses and business expenses. And so um, once a business really gets off the ground, then that's something that 
we advocate for, um, you know, or I advocate for as well, as well to like, dude, like separate that shit. It's not hard, you know, separate it um, just so you know what's coming and what's coming out. And also from like a write-off perspective, like if you own a business and you are not managing your cash flow and keeping track of things and also giving your accountant all the information that they need to support you in tax season, you're fucked. Because you pay more taxes if you work for yourself, technically, until you become an S-Corp. But that's a whole other thing down the road. But like, if you're not keeping track of your write-offs, then you're not using the tax incentives that are provided for business owners. Because owning a business does not have to be a huge tax burden. But it is if you don't know what you're capable of doing in terms of write-offs and, and all that. And if you don't have an accountant that works with small businesses and they don't understand, like that's a big thing. And so you'll end up paying more in taxes than you thought. Um, so keeping shit separate so you can keep your shit together and just learning what you can actually write off and all that stuff. Um, that's a big one. And then ultimately with, with money as well, I feel like a lot of new business owners, they try to scale too fast and they don't just, just fucking take the profit. Y'all be a sole entrepreneur for fucking five minutes. <laughs> Dude. All right. Yes. I would like God I mean, damn it. finish, but yes, I agree with that a hundred percent. So you like, God damn it. Like when people... Like when coaches, especially, you know, in the fitness space, they see maybe even companies like mine or like other companies in the space that are bigger, like, and they want to be here now. And it's like, do you though? Yeah. <laughs> do you though? Because there's something to be said for a, just being a practitioner and taking like owning the business and also operating it for a minute. Give yourself some fucking time yep. to like manage that cash flow, but also to like take some profit because when you scale, you will lose profit at least in portions of it. Like there's like yeah. almost like steps to scaling. Like if you take a step, you're probably going to lose, but the next step you'll gain it back. Like it's like steps, right? So like you have to know what step do you want to stay at? And a lot of times they don't see it. They're like, well, <laughs> I want to scale because I want to make more profit. Or I'm, I always want to grow my business. But I'm like, well, is growing your business what you want to do? Or do you want to make profit? It's different, yeah. right? Because you can make, you know, what if a, like, who has a better business? A business that brings in 500K a year, but they profit like, you know, 200K versus a million dollar business that profits 200K. Which one, which one's healthier? Which one's better? Which one's easier to operate? Which one's less stressful? Uh, sign me up for the half a mil. All right, all day. It's counterintuitive. <laughs> it's counterintuitive though. And I I agree vehemently with this point. And this is something I recommend to everyone as well. And also what I recommend is if you are gonna scale, if you are gonna hire, don't hire an assistant coach first. No. Like hire a VA first, hire an accountant first. Like yeah. hire people that are going to support you on the back end of the business while you're continuing to be more efficient in being that quote unquote technician, if that's what you're trying to do in that, especially in the fitness world, right? Like if you're in the fitness world, if you're a, a fitness business coach, you are usually providing the the service as well as running the business at first, right? So you're still that technician, you're the coach, you're the face. And everyone wants to hurry out of that position because like you said, you're looking around, you're seeing all these other big businesses who have 10, 15 assistant coaches and all of these different layers of coaches. You have like the, the head coach, you have like yeah. the, the competition coach, you have the lifestyle coach, you have the you know functional health coach, like all of these different layers and branches. And everyone is like, I want to do that too. I should do that. But the reality is that 
like you said, scaling too fast, it shrinks your margins so quickly. And yeah, you might be making more revenue, but you're probably going to be making less profit. And that was something that I did not realize. I definitely didn't understand at first because it made sense in my head. I was like, okay, well, hold up. If I'm making, you know, $100,000 a year, then if I bring on an assistant coach and I take 30% of what they make, I'm going to be making, you know, $100,000 plus the 30%. If I bring on another coach and pay them, you know, or take 30% from them, I'm like, this is additive. It's great. It can't fail. And then you forget about all of the other things that come with, you know, running a business. It's like not just assistant coaches that are bringing in direct revenue, it's back in support. So you have to hire an assistant, you have to hire an accountant, you have to hire a content creator, you know, like potentially an editor or something like that, a graphic designer, you have to hire all of these additional pieces that aren't bringing you direct revenue, but you're having right. to pay them, you're having to pay them as well. So every single coach that you bring on has an overhead. Right. And it's not always just associated with like their clientele. It's like, okay, well, how much money am I paying in expenses to continue keeping my business afloat, to keep it alive every single day? Okay, well, now divide that by the amount of coaches that you have. Sure. How much each coach is costing you just to have them on your roster? Well, if you're not taking more than that, (laughs) at least that, then like you are losing money by having a bigger company. Yep. That's yeah. a hard thing to conceptualize. And like, I actually ran into that problem at various points where I'm like, okay, why the fuck do I have five assistant coaches and I'm making less money than I did when I was on my own? I'm like, yeah. it makes no sense. And then it's like, okay, well, we also have five people working on the back end, and like I'm paying you know, $15,000 a month for all of this other shit that we don't need. And like, that was an issue that I ran into really, really, really quickly is being obsessed with scaling and growing and not understanding why I was needing to scale or grow or not realizing like, Hey, this is actually better. If I just figure out a way to do it all myself, like in what world is that worse? You know, granted you can't do everything yourself. And we've talked about that, but keeping it lean, like keeping your company lean for as long as possible, rather than just like adding more and more and more complexity, because that's what additional employees or additional contractors are. It's, it's more complexity yeah, they can help take the load off of you, but it also adds another of layer between you and what's actually getting done and getting delivered. And the more layers that you add, the more that you have to be a good manager and you have to control all of that going yeah. on. And like the further removed you get, the harder it is to control. Like you can't control every single thing. I've struggled with that. And I know that a lot of people struggle with that. And I'm glad that you said it because I was thinking it, but scaling too fast is something that I, I think everyone has to suffer through at some point and they have to realize the mistake they made and they have to fire people and they have to like it's good for you builds character well like going back to the ego thing like admitting that you have to scale down your business is brutal yeah that hurts in a deep way (laughs) and and kind of like what i was mentioning before a lot of a lot of like the perception of the fitness space, especially with like what we do is like, you have to outwardly portray that you're very successful, like online on social media, like there's an expectation of like, Hey, you have to continue to bring on more clients. You have to continue to win, you know, more awards, more competitions. You have to bring on more assistant coaches and like do all of these additional things because it's this illusion of growing. Yeah. 
the illusion of like being at the forefront of everyone's mind, like, oh shit, like, you know, P2, like they brought on another coach this month. They must be doing pretty well. Like I'm going to yeah. them out, you know? And that, that was the way that my brain was working um, back then. But now I'm like, wow, we waste a lot of fucking time pursuing this like ridiculous path that makes no sense to me at this point. But back then it just seemed like the only logical way to grow the business. Right. Yeah. And that comes from bodybuilding too. I feel like the bodybuilding world operates like that with their big massive teams and all this shit. Um, So we kind of see that. We think that's the norm. Um, But yeah, I mean, after my experience, but I I learned that too. And um, that at a smaller scale, I did it, but luckily it wasn't like catastrophic at that point, but it felt like it. It felt like it at the time. And that's why I've been so hesitant to scale. Like I've had my two coaches for two years and I'm just like, I, I mean, even with this, it's the last like three months I've been like, should I hire another coach? Cause, that, Cause we have the leads for it, but I've been so like aware of all you're going to do is trade a problem for a problem. You trade, you know, it doesn't solve anything. Cool. We have a lot of leads right now, but we're going to trade the problem by hiring another coach, but that's going to cause another problem. It's always about trading problems. So what problems do you want to have? So I've just been very slow with scaling my team because I just learned the hard way that like you just you don't want to fucking go down that road um, if your infrastructure and your systems aren't set up for it and your margins aren't set up, your prices aren't set up for it. Like you don't have that all built, then it's just like it's a fucking castle built on cards at at that point. Um, So, I mean, now we're finally doing it. We're in the movie process and we're doing the thing. And it's it's super exciting. Like we have everything set up for it, but it it took a while for me to feel comfortable to do it again. Cause I just knew if this shit isn't going to rock, I'm not going to do it. Like I'm not going to hire someone prematurely for my ego. I, I will cruise. My team is fucking great. I love all of them. Everyone's like on point. We're so connected and such a family that I also don't have no desire to bring someone in here just because we can. Like if you're coming in here, it's because you're fucking perfect for this team And there's even like when we put up the application and hiring process, it was so (laughs) my fucking caption was so mean. It wasn't mean. It was just like, look, (laughs) we're we're putting this out here. Yeah. But if we don't find someone perfect, then I don't care. We'll keep the team as is. We'll have a wait list. Like, I'm not feeling this because we have we don't have to. We can. But like, if we're going to do it, if we find someone that's great. Awesome. We'll do it. But. If if we don't, then all right, guys, let's just keep on going. Everyone's full. Everyone's happy. We have a wait list. Here we go. Whatever. Increase prices. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, you mentioned like, I mean, multiple times, but like the culture of your business at this point is rock solid. Like you have been able to build with your small team, relatively small team, a really, really awesome culture that you can depend on. You can rely on them. They can rely on you. You know what's going right. on every single day. You trust each other. And you have this, this culture of like, you know, critical, but positive nurturing feedback. Everyone understands that no emotions are at play. We all want the best for each other. We want the best for the business, our clients and bringing in a variable is a risk, like an unknown person, even if they check all the boxes, right? you never know until you bring them in and introduce them into your company because they can be a ticking time bomb. Like they can be someone who is phenomenal at the job, a great coach, 
They, you know, have all the experience, all the certifications, but they are just a toxic human being. Yeah. And they just poison the culture of your company. And for anyone who doesn't own a small business, that is a gigantic problem. Like, it's not like working at Google and having someone who is like shitty and, you know, don't want to be in your department or whatever. If you're in a small business and you have a team of five or six or 10, one person literally can ruin yeah. everyone's vibe. They can make everyone hate work. Yep. And like again, it's just like every new variable that you introduce, it just creates an additional layer of complexity. And I don't blame you for taking your time and doing this. And that's another reason why, like, I think that we should all get very comfortable with firing people as well. Like, oh, fast, fast as fuck. And <laughs> that should go. But the thing is, though, is I, I get it for people who have never owned a company or or who have always been like in that more employee or contractor role coming in to kind of like help an, an already grown company. Right. Like the idea of being fired is is scary for people. Right. But if you're a business owner, you have to become comfortable with firing people quickly. And once you realize that someone is not good for your company, you should fire them that day because you're yeah. not going to change your mind. Like I've realized this. I've tried to talk myself out of, of firing people before or like having that difficult conversation, but it always comes back around to the same destination. We have to separate like they... Like there has to be a breakage, no matter how good someone is at their job. If they're a, a toxic person to work with, or they just don't fit in with the culture or, you know, their desires and their wants and needs are not aligning with what the companies are and everybody else who works for the business. Again, it doesn't matter how great they are at their job. You have to get rid of them ASAP because a disgruntled employee will poison your company faster than anything. And they will fucking tank your business quickly because again going back like they don't care they don't have an incentive to care and if someone is spiteful like holy shit that is a bad position to be in that is like scary you don't want to be there and i have always really struggled with like this idea of like making quick decisions in the company and that's something i'm trying to get better at but i've always held on hope for too long with people who it, like viscerally i'm like they need to go but yeah. i've always held on too long like maybe they'll they'll change maybe they'll do better maybe they'll you know like prove me wrong and i've always just come back around to the, re the realization that like i just need to trust my gut and i need to make those quick decisions even if it makes our life temporarily harder right like if you hire or if you excuse me if you fire an assistant your life will temporarily be harder while you're training someone to replace them like that's that is the reality but you still have to do it because you're going to have to do it eventually if you've already made that decision in your head. And ideally, you have systems in place that allow the training process to happen fast and you don't have dependencies in the business that like, you know, if one person leaves or gets fired or doesn't show up one day, like your business is going to collapse. And I feel like that's another thing that I see a lot whenever people are trying to build their business quickly is they put a lot of trust and add a lot of dependencies that they don't really know what's actually happening there. So like for me, I did this a lot with like assistants. So like virtual assistants, or even I would probably classify some people as like COO type of role where they're really in charge of like the logistics and organization in the company. And I'm like, you take care of it. I'm going to go do this thing. 
But then it's like, you don't know what's actually happening in your company. So if they ever decide to just not show up, you're fucked, right? Like you don't want to depend on someone to continue running your business. Um, Like, have you seen a lot of mistakes like that with people that you've consulted with, or even like potentially with yourself where you're like, wow, you really fucked up putting this much faith, trust in one product or service, one person, one system, like you need to diversify your risk a little bit so that you don't get absolutely fucking tanked if this system breaks down and stops working, or if this product goes belly up, or if this person decides to fuck you over and just quit one day, you know? Sure. Yeah. I mean, for my business personally, I'm in it enough where I, I've worn all the hats before. Yep. And I think that's a mistake if people try to hire a position they've never had. Like they try to hire for something in their pos- in their business that they've never actually done themselves. Yeah. That's a problem, at least for small businesses. Bigger businesses, obviously a little bit different, but like it is safer to do everything yourself first. Like learn the skill, learn the skill of marketing, learn the skill of sales, learn the skill of operations, learn the, obviously being a coach, which you probably, probably should fucking do that. Like give Not yourself plan to be good. Yeah. Be, yeah. Actually take some time to be, be a good practitioner. Weird, yeah. you know? So like wear the hats, but do them really well, like fucking be good at it. So then when you delegate it, you can lead them properly and hold them accountable. And so then if there ever is, you know, where a team member leaves, you've done it before, like you, you should know what they're doing and they might create new systems to make things a little more efficient, but that's also too, why you should have, you know, regular meetings with them. You know, I tell my assistant Kelsey all the time, like, if you find something that I create, like my system is shit, make your own and teach me. Mm-hmm. Like make yep. your own and tell me how you did it. And she's done that multiple times where she's like, okay, well, I track payments like this because then I can notify him if they're if it's going to hit a different date and da-da-da. like she figured that all out and she just showed it to me. And I'm like, I love that. Yeah. Now yeah. I know. Now I have awareness. So like, God forbid, please, Lord, baby, Jesus, Kelsey, don't <laughs> <laughs> also having like SOPs, right? Like having yeah. a place where like all of these procedures are are categorized, they're all annotated, like you can go through it. And even if your assistant is sick one day, you can go in and see like yeah. what they do on a daily basis. For sure. Go through and follow steps from one to to a hundred and do their job for them or pass it off to someone else. And it can be done by, you know, a monkey, right? Like that's yeah. ideally the way that your business should be set up. It should be set up in a way that like every single thing is documented down to like the nth degree to make be made very easy, not only for like, you know, the people doing it, but also potentially for someone who you're going to train in the future right. to them on, or even God forbid, you have to do everything yourself again one day. Right. Like right. everyone comes in and they're like, fuck you. I quit. I hate you. I've never liked <laughs> Like, I don't want to do this. And you have to do everything yourself one day. Like, I know even just us having this conversation right now, like there are processes in the company where I'm like, not going to lie. I don't really know how that happens on a daily basis. I just trust that it happens. And that like that's a kind of scary thought process, right? Where you're like, okay, well, if this breaks, like, who do I go to? Like, where do I, where do I fix the problem? Um, so like eliminating those potential trust vectors, you know, where it's like the dependencies, the things that could potentially cause you issues if they're not patched, like patch it before it's an issue. And like, it's often really hard to implement infrastructure retroactively. Like 
like once you've already scaled, like it's hard to go back and convince yourself that like documenting SOPs is like the main priority you should be focused on that day, right? It's like, okay, I have all these other things. Why am I going through every single process and like, you know, creating this this document talking about how we do it? Or, you know, like going in and reevaluating your your CRM that you use. You're like, okay, like we're gonna move from from Google spreadsheets over into like, I don't know, like HubSpot. Like we're gonna, we're gonna make this transition. It makes it a lot more challenging whenever you have a thousand clients and you're trying to do that shit versus if you have 15. Right. Um, right. Um, but I mean, I, that's one reason why I really encourage people to like, take the time to understand what infrastructure in your business is supposed to look like when running a business, like a business, not as a passion project. And like you mentioned at the beginning, like you share your financials with your team, like you put it out there. It's not a big deal. Well, like that's how publicly traded companies do it. Like, yeah, if, if you're Apple, like you have to publish quarterly reports telling everyone how you spend your money. Like that, that is a thing. There, there is no sleight of hand that's allowed. I mean, that is fraud at that level, right. right? So if you want to run your company like a real company, like these are the things that you should start thinking about doing. But most people miss that step. Yeah. It's just hard to think about doing that stuff whenever you could be focusing on like making more money that month or that week or like, you know, taking on more clients because those feel like they should be more important in that moment. Like, is that something that you see often? Yeah. Well, I think it just comes down to how people like think about money and um, like not understanding that it can be a, like money doesn't always have to be this negative, like, ooh, taboo thing. Yeah. It's powerful. It's everyone fucking needs it. And so you also have to ask yourself, too, if you're afraid to share, why? Are you doing shady shit, brah? Like, maybe you should do some inner work, you know? Like, why are you afraid to share your financials with your team? Or maybe it's like there could be shame involved. Like, maybe there are poor financial decisions that have been made that have to then be, you know, accounted for. But you know what? Like, having a team, you know, that knows everything like that, it it helps you be accountable. Like I said, like, I... I mean, I don't think I would be frivolous anyway, even if they didn't know. But I like the fact that my team is well aware yep. as to what happens every single month, that they can just go in and fucking see it. I don't care. Yeah. You know, I, I like that. Because also, too, what happens if, like, the business ever goes red? I want, I want like, my team, my leadership team to know, like, okay, like, this is a problem. Why? Let's, let's problem solve. If they don't fucking know, like then it's just me on my own trying to like not trying I'm not triangulating I'm not actually using my team to the best of their ability like I have leadership positions for a reason you know like it's I do better when it's not just me yeah. trying to figure shit out so like if there's something like I talked about Alex all the time like if there's something like a wonky month we look at it together and we're like okay so and we do math and like we figure out how many clothes like how many front end sales do we need? What's back end look like? Like projections, like we fucking look. I don't just like, okay, good job, everybody. Bye. And then it's fucking burning. Like, yep. no, I'm like, okay, so something weird's happening here. Let's take a peek. And and ultimately what typically happens is when we run the data and, and stop like making decisions off of feelings is we figure out like, oh, this makes sense because we got the, like, whatever it might've been, maybe um, a month was weird because we got a lot of profit ahead of time. And then 
the labor wasn't paid out for two months. Well, no fucking shit. Like, it just didn't line up. It doesn't mean (laughs) your business is still great. It just didn't line up completely even with like when people paid and when and when the coaches were paid there that's it you don't got to change then you know you don't got to change anything nothing's wrong so that's another thing too it's like if you are looking at it from a lens of just yourself and and not triangulating with others especially those who have good insight and they're aware then you can end up making decisions that actually you're trying to solve a problem that doesn't even exist you know like like you said before, like if a business goes red, sometimes it will. That doesn't mean you're not profiting. It just means your revenue could have hit differently in a different month. And then you paid it just you have to look at everything on average and like, okay, well, yeah. But so yes, people just need to realize like if you don't talk about money, you're not gonna make more of it. Done. You know? It's also hard to communicate urgency if you're the only one seeing what's happening on the back. Right. Like you can't commit or you can't communicate a red quarter. I mean, a red month is one thing. A red quarter is something a little bit different. Yeah, something's that's fucked a, up. That's a trend, you know, like that. that's that's not good for the business. But if you had a red quarter or, you know, like income or not income, um, like profit margins have been like steadily declining for the past like two or three quarters or, you have no applications coming in. And that's been like the stagnating issue for the past year, right? Like all of these big things, it's very hard to communicate with your team, just telling them, hey guys, like we need to do better. Hey, like, you know, we need more apps in. Like, hey, let's, you know, try a little bit harder, be more be more vocal, right? Like post more. That's really hard to do unless they're seeing a dashboard. Like if they could see a dashboard and they're like, okay, this little clicker is red today. Like it used to be green. It's supposed to be green. Now it's red and it's sitting on red. And why is that happening? Right? Like you can dissect that. And sometimes those visuals, like actually seeing the numbers is easily able to be communicated. Like, like that's something that can be internalized with the rest of your team so that you're not the only one seeing that and like trying to maintain everyone's calm nature. Like you're, you know, trying to do it in a way that is like not, creating this sense of like fear or, or freak everyone out. Like that's something I've dealt with before. I'm like, okay, like how do I do this? But still also like maintain my cool. Like, how do I say, all right, guys, we need to like get our shit together while also not coming off. Like I'm freaking the fuck out, you know, or panicking. Um, But I think sometimes too, like everyone needs to understand like, Hey, this is the reality of the situation, you know, especially for a growing business where you're a small business, you know, the difference between making it and not making it can be a red quarter. Yeah. Like it, like there's not a lot of security or comfort there. So sometimes like, like desperation has to be communicated. Like you have to understand how serious the situation is and you have to be able to communicate that to to the rest of your team. And if you're sitting on all like the big decisions that are being made behind the scenes and you're not allowing that to be diffused out and allowing everyone to kind of participate in that, it's really hard for them to give a fuck about what you're doing, right? Um, Or even have that same sense of urgency that you might be wanting them to operate with. Uh, But no, I I think that the money stuff is something that is, it's always just a sensitive topic, but I know that like your podcast that you're doing right now is much more about breaking those taboos around money, specifically like taboos around women and money. Um, Do you kind of want to like go into that a little bit? Because I don't think even I know exactly like the full depth of what you talk about in the podcast. 
Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's called the Be Your Own Daddy podcast. And I talk a lot around women specifically and the money mindset that society kind of makes us fucking have. Um, And just things that are very specific to women and our struggle to make more money and or, uh, again, societal norms or just how we're taught to care about ourselves or not and um, putting ourselves first and investing in ourselves, like all, all that fucking shit that there's so much unlearning that needs to happen with men and women um, when it comes to money and who should earn it fuck like all day <laughs> you know like who should be earning the money and why that's a fucking question it's just it's so interesting especially as our society has changed that it's almost it's weird that like there's still this hang up around like men should men should make more mm-hmm. how about we all just fucking make more like yeah. why is it this weird ass competition still when we live in a society that literally requires a two person income can we all be fucking winners here? That's the thing. It's like, there's no like small pie. Like everyone can have a piece of the pie, whether you're a male or female, like whatever, you know? And so when that's the, that's a big part of what I talk about in the podcast is like, how can we reframe our mindset around what we're like letting ourselves be allowed to ask for and just that it's not selfish to want to be a millionaire. It's not selfish to to want to make the money you want to make, whether you're a, a man, woman, or however you identify. If you're a dog, I don't fucking care who you are. But like, changing your mindset around it is the number one thing because we're taught, especially as women, that we're not supposed to have it. And if we have it, we should give it away. And that if we have more than our husband, he's gonna throw a fucking tantrum. Like, what the fuck is that? Like, no. Let's first of all, first of all, let's look at it like. Our society is set up in a way where it would benefit from women making more money. Mm-hmm. What is the fucking problem? Yeah. Like, everyone. Like, so if the problem, or not the, I shouldn't say it's a problem, but like the societal norm is that part of being masculine is making money. Well, okay, let's start talking about the definition of fucking masculinity. And that's one of the episodes I had uh, about toxic quote unquote, toxic masculinity in my episode. So if you ever want to dive down that rabbit hole, it's a really good episode on my podcast. But it's redefining how like how gender norms are defined in this world and like who is quote unquote allowed to do what and who what what value someone has depending on what they offer in a relationship. And it just has to be broken because no one is winning when like there's this negative connotation with women making more money than their husband or like if she doesn't want to have kids or if she is a CEO and you know she doesn't spend enough time with her family all this fucking weird like just societal shit that I'm like if we just like took a step back and looked logically of like how about you know people just like work within their strengths and work as a team in relationships and everyone stopped living in their ego and showed up where they need to show up in their life. How about fucking that? <laughs> so anyway, in a nutshell, that's pretty much uh circle back. <laughs> it's a lot of that. A lot of that. Whenever you have anyone on this podcast and the first thing they come on, they start talking about 
let's say their problem with they have a husband that doesn't understand why his wife needs to make money or wants to make more money than him. And I know that you even mentioned this where a lot of times like that drive is mentioned as it's talked about as masculine energy, right? Like wanting to make more money, being money driven, being success driven, being a CEO as a woman is it's called masculine, right? Which there are so many underlying facets of gender norms and gender i feel like confusion as well whenever it comes to what is expected of a man versus what is expected from a woman in a household but also a business and like you want to just kind of expand on some of that stuff so like some of the biggest issues that you see whenever it comes to having to having to talk about and having to distinguish between those things and also kind of allowing people to break out of those conceptions that are honestly just reinforced every single fucking day that that we hear about masculine energy versus feminine energy and how that relates to like the workplace and making money and success and all that. Sure. Well, I think it's first important to identify that men and women, however you identify, we all have a mix of both. Every human being has some feminine energy. They have some masculine energy. There's no such thing as someone being completely just one. Yeah. It just isn't. Like human beings have both. And that's the thing that you can fall heavily on the masculine side in one area of your life and more feminine on the other. And that goes for men and women, like truly. So to pigeonhole anyone is almost idiotic. It's ridiculous. It doesn't even make sense for how humans operate. And so I think that needs to be the first thing to be understood is that we really do fall on a spectrum of it and it just depends. And there's nothing wrong with any type of you know, collaboration of the two. Like really there isn't, you know, there's a reason they both exist harmoniously for a reason, like they both exist. So, but I do think that if a, maybe a woman is struggling with her husband to be supportive of her financial goals, I think the number one thing to do is to get curious. And I had this conversation with Erin Diamond as well uh, and her thoughts, and she kind of laid it out with this too, is if he's having negative feelings about your growth in some area or how you show up in an area, instead of getting defensive or just calling him a misogynist <laughs> or saying he has toxic masculinity or whatever, which tangent for another day, but toxic masculinity is bullshit, by the way. Um, there's nothing toxic about masculinity in its true form anyway. But like ask questions, like get curious. Like, why do you feel like that? Like, what do, what is... What feelings is this bringing up for you when you think about me doing X, Y, Z financially or having, a, you know, taking this promotion or whether it is making more money than you? Like, let's talk about it. Come on, just open up a little bit and just having conversations to see where it's coming from, because that's really what you need to do. Like, because it, it might not be coming from this. I want to, like, bring my wife down place. It could be coming from a money trauma that he has. Where he feels like, if I'm not the provider, then, you know, how am I going to support my family? Like, it could be coming from that. And like, when you get down to the root of it, I think it's really important to like, have those conversations as partners, right? Because usually it's not malicious. It's coming from a place of trauma or a place of like, you know, they want they want to feel valued. And if you're stepping in a role that traditionally is 
valued as a man's thing and you want to step in that role, like that could bring up shit for him. Doesn't mean that he's a bad person. You just got to have a conversation and be on the same page. And maybe that looks like going into couples therapy to have also a, a licensed therapist to help you walk through it. Right. So everyone, everyone can win. Right. But like, he's most likely not being a dick. There's just shit that society has told him that he's supposed to be. And if you want to be that, then it's not fair to be a dick about it to him or to feel offended because he's been told that's what he's supposed to do. So it's kind of just like having an open conversation, just getting curious, asking questions and just being open. Yeah, I I think it's also really important to understand what type of partner you want. Yeah, that too. That too. (laughs) Because some people are dicks. (laughs) Yeah, well, yeah. So like the no such thing as toxic masculinity. Like there's not, there's toxic people though. Yes, there's toxic people, but that shouldn't be associated with how like feminine, feminine, you know what I'm saying? But yeah, toxic Toxic femininity. Um, No, and- I'm sure that you've heard this analogy too, like the the fullback and the cheerleader one, um, like just what you're trying to look for in a partner. Like, do you want right. a fullback? Do you want someone who's going to be there with you every step of the way and sometimes lead the way? Or do you want someone who's going to be on the sidelines doing all of like the small things to make your life easier while you're doing, you know, the business, like while you're making the money, right? But it's hard to expect your partner to be both. And that yeah. goes for, for men and women. And I'm sure that you know this, but this has been something I've struggled with in the past, right? Like I haven't really understood or known like what I even want my partner to to be or do, what role I want them to fulfill because I'm focused on what I'm doing, but it's like, what do I actually need? Like, what do I need from my partner? Do I need them to also be as driven as I am and like think the same way that I am? Like, do I want a Jordan and Aaron situation or right. do I want someone who can be like supportive of me and what right. I'm doing? And that's okay. It, that's it okay. <laughs> well, there's there's also plenty of people out there that have no desire to own their own business. Like they're yeah. not entrepreneurial. Like they they prefer to be in the background. They prefer to to help their partner with their pursuits. Like it's not them being relegated. It's that, like that's actually what they want. Like right. they, they yeah. don't desire to have that pressure on them. Um, and like even Lex and I have had this conversation. Like Lex, my girlfriend, like she's she's not someone who wants to own her own business. Like that's just not who she is. So for her, it's so much more natural to just do all of the small things around the house for me, like, you know, potentially run errands, like, like plan shit, right? Like if we're going on a trip, like she loves planning, like that is her thing. I cannot fucking plan to save my life. Like I can't do that shit. Right. Like, but she knows there's something that she needs me to do or needs me to be at. She'll like, just send me a calendar invite. If it's on my calendar, I'm not going to forget it. It's done. But like, you can't tell me something in passing because I'll, I'll immediately forget it. Like it'll go in and out. But like that communication is, it's allowed us to get to that point where like, I know that from her, like the things that she gives me are exactly what I need from her. Like that I don't need anything else. And some people are going to be in the opposite boat where like, they're going to have someone who is a cheerleader who is doing all the small things, but that's not enough for them. Like they're not appreciating it as much as someone else might, as much as I might. Because they need a, a fullback. They want a fullback. They want someone right. who's going to do their, it's going to be there with them in the business at all times, problem solving, making more money, like figure out ways to do things and like grow and continue like to propagate and understanding what you're actually looking for and what you need is I think just as important as understanding like who you are in that framework and in that situation too. And like, 
figuring out like your own pursuits and how to, again, not be masculine or feminine, but like just exist and be like the person who you want to be, regardless of sex, regardless of, you know, any kind of norms or traditions. And I think that is incredibly important as well. So I think that's a good note to wrap up on. So is there anything that you want to say before we dip out other than obviously like plugging yourself and your business and your body? <laughs> yeah, I know this is a great combo. Um, yeah, I mean, where you can find me, um, Instagram is where I hang. So just it's my name, Alicia is really hard. And yeah, uh, Beer on Daddy podcast. That's also where I drop an episode every week where you can re-rant and swear and usually, you know, just talk about a bunch of shit. So yeah, um, that's all I got, bro. That's good enough for me. I'll accept it. All right, dude. Thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, absolutely, dude. All right, peace. <laughs>